Well, howdy. How's everybody doing? Good, 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 good. Um, hope you've had a good week. We are in a series right now called um, The Domino Effect. And so we're looking at how the actions of a church, the actions of a person, can cause this domino effect into eternity. And so we've been looking at this out of 1 Samuel, specifically 1 Samuel chapter 13 and 14. Today, we're going to be in the end of 13 and um, looking at uh, really how the enemy had such a hold on Israel um, and how they were in such a bad place um, before Jonathan, who was King Saul's son, took action and they ended up having a great victory. But I don't want to start the message without taking a moment to console our Alabama fans. Um, I'm, I'm sure we have some here. Um, I apologize. I would encourage you that our, our hope is in heaven. Um, it's not on earth. I would encourage you to set your mind on things above. And I, I really, I'm 100% confident that you'll be as good as you've ever been, right? All right, so anyway, moving on. All right, so in 1 Samuel, what we're seeing happen is a transition. And so Israel is supposed to be um, a theocracy. And what that means is they're governed by God. God is their leader. And the way God would govern them up until this point was through a, a priest or a prophet. God would give his message to that priest. He'd give his message to that prophet. And, and they would give that message to the people. And so they were literally being led by God. But they come to this point where the, a man by the name of Samuel, who's been leading them as their priest, he um, is coming to a point where his, his age is getting up there. He's about to the point of not being able to um, lead them anymore. And his sons are not really good people. And so the people of Israel realize this. And so they go to Samuel and they ask Samuel to give them a king. And they say, we want to be like the other nations. And the problem with this, though, is they're to be set apart from the other nations. And one of the ways they were to be set apart from the other nations is that the one true God was the one who was in authority over them, who governed them, who led them. He's the one who brought them out of Egypt. He's the one that parted the Red Sea. He's the one that parted the Jordan River. He's the one that led them through all of that. And that was the way it was intended to continue. But in this, and them asking for a king, we see Israel really rejecting God's authority over them and rejecting God as their king. And so God tells Samuel to anoint this guy named Saul. Saul is... Um, from an outward appearance, he's the perfect person. Says he was taller than everybody else, a good-looking guy. He was the person you would look at and say, yes, this is the right person to lead us. And so Saul comes into the picture, but the problem is that Saul never steps into the potential that God had given him. For various reasons, Saul could never really trust God enough to submit to his authority and to lead the way that God called him to lead and to do the things that God called him to do. And so we're going to see in just a second how in 1 Samuel 13, there are two people in Israel and all of Israel with swords. One is Jonathan, one is Saul. And as we look at this, Jonathan ends up in the next chapter, probably look at this next week, taking and going and beginning a fight with the Philistines. His actions rally the rest of Israel, and they have a great victory over the Philistines, who was an arch enemy of Israel. But 
Saul is sitting under a pomegranate tree doing nothing. Saul's life was one of tragedy. He ends up dying and he ends his life by falling on his own sword. And so I don't want us to be that way. I want us to be people who fulfill every ounce of potential that we have. And so that's what we want to look at today is how do we as a church, how do we as people, God's people, have a domino effect that goes into eternity, that has a return that's so much greater than what could have been if we had not stepped in faith to do the things that God's called us to do. So if you will, look at 1 Samuel chapter 13, and this is what it says. It says, Saul and his son Jonathan and the men with them were staying in Gabeah in Benjamin while the Philistines camped at Michmash. Raiding parties, it literally means destroyers, went out from the Philistine camp in three detachments. One turned toward Ophrah in the vicinity of Shual, another toward Beth Haran, and the third toward the borderland overlooking the valley of Zeboim, facing the wilderness. Listen to this, this is important. Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords and spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plow points, mattocks, axes, and sickles sharpened. The price was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening plow points and mattocks, and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes and for repointing goads. So on the day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or a spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. Let's pray. God, I thank you today for your word, your work, the things that you do. God, I thank you that your word is living and active. I pray, God, today that it would pierce our hearts. I pray, God, that the good seed of your word would find good soil. There'd be a harvest produced in and through us, not just as individuals, but as a church. God, that it's 30, 60, 100 times that which was sown. I pray today, God, that we would see the potential that you have placed inside your church, that we would see who we are called to be, that any apathetic attitudes that we have towards you, towards your word, towards prayer, towards your purpose, God, that those would be lifted. In the name of Jesus, we would come alive and we would be the church that you called us to be. God, we know we have a great purpose, a greater purpose than even what we realize. So would you draw that out of each one of us and together let us be unified to accomplish the things that you have called us to accomplish. We love you, Lord, and we bless your name because you, as we sang, are worthy of all praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I want you to see how serious the situation is for Israel. They're in this place where they are oppressed in every way by the Philistines. It talks about how the Philistines were sending out these raiding parties, these destroying parties to go out in three different directions, and they were sending them to places, to roads where they could block off these roads. What that did was it protected the Philistine camp more, but it also kept Israel from being able to get reinforcements. So they've got control of Israel in that way as well. You look at it, they have no weapons. Israel has literally got two swords in their entire nation. 
They're, they're outnumbered by the Philistines. If you go and look at some history stuff, they'll actually take you to where these battles took place. And if you can imagine, just picture in your mind, you got the Israelites and they're all scared and hiding and all of this stuff. And then you've got this great number of Philistines on this other hill. And in between them is this valley and they're looking at each other. And this battle's about to take place. But because of the fact that the Philistines have control of the metal and the technology of the day, the Israelites have no iron weapons. And so they're literally about to go fight an army that outnumbers them by many with sticks and stones. That's about what it amounts to. We also look at it and see where they would not allow blacksmiths to exist in Israel. And so what they would do then is they would have to go down to the Philistines to have all of their tools and, and farming equipment sharpened. And they would charge like two thirds of a shekel to do a simple amount of work. Now we don't today like know what a shekel is, but it was a, a lot of money that they were charging them to do what they were doing for, for this service they were providing. And so we see that even economically, the Philistines were in control. They were oppressing Israel. Israel finds themselves in this situation. They find themselves in a place where they are completely controlled by their enemy, the Philistines. And all of this stems back to this issue with Saul, with King Saul, and his lack of faith and his lack of trust and his lack of willingness to submit to God. And so they come against the Philistines, or the Philistines come against Israel. They're in control of all of this. Today, the thing I want you to understand and the first thing I want you to get, the main idea of this, is that if we are, as a church, going to have a domino effect like we're called to, we must stand firm in God's word and prayer. If we're going to be a church that has a domino effect, we have to stand firm in God's word and prayer, something that Saul did not do. So understand this, that just like Israel, just like Israel way back then, they had this enemy called the Philistines. Understand this, that as a people, we too, as the church, we too have an enemy. It is not the Philistines, but it is Satan. And Satan comes against us. There really is good and there really is evil. There really is God and there really is a devil. There really are angels and there really are demons. And there is this real battle that takes place. And we need to understand that as a church and as the people of Christ, that we too have an enemy. We have an enemy who cannot stand us if we have faith in Jesus because we've been made into the image of Jesus. He can't stand anything about Christ. He can't stand anything about God. He can't stand for God to get worship. He can't stand for God to get glory. And his number one objective is to destroy the church because the church's ultimate purpose is to be in relationship with God and through that relationship to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And the enemy, even though he knows he's defeated, will do whatever he has to do to keep that from happening. We have to understand that we too have an enemy. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9 talks about how we're to be sober-minded, to be aware that the devil is like a roaring lion who prowls around looking for whom he can devour. Understand that these letters like 1 Peter, 2 Peter, these were circular letters. These were things that weren't just written to individuals. They were written to entire churches to warn them 
And say, you better be on your guard because the enemy is coming to to try to kill and steal and destroy. To try to limit the church from being and doing what the church was created to do. And I want you to understand that our enemy has a strategy just the same as the Philistines did. We're, We're not unaware of his schemes. The Bible lays it out for us. Paul even says that in one of his writings in 2 Corinthians. Chapter 2, he says, look, we're not unaware of his schemes. We're not unaware of the things he's trying to do. He's trying to divide the church. He's trying to devour the church. Why? Because the church has a great purpose. The church has a great reason for existing. It's not just to show up on Sunday or Wednesday or to connect group. It's actually to accomplish something in the earth to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. And again, the enemy will do whatever he has to do to come against us and stop us. The enemy hates God. The enemy hates his church, his people. And even though we're not fighting the Philistines, we still have to understand that we have an enemy who despises us, despises the church, despises its purpose, and who seeks to rob God of the glory and the worship he deserves. And part of his schemes, there's, we could go through so many different things that he does to come in and try to divide the church. I only want to hit a few of them right now. But one of the things he does and one of the ways that he attacks is through bitterness. Somebody offends us in the church and we become bitter And that relationship, rather than dealing with it in maturity and going to each other and working things out, we just begin to allow a schism, this root of bitterness to grow up in us. Some of us come in bitter. And so our relationships are hindered. We're easily offended. And Satan uses this to cause division and to cause schisms and to cause the church to not be what We're called to be. If he can do anything, it would be to divide the church. And if you just look in Bullock County, there's probably somewhere between 130 and 140 churches. I would say that Satan is doing a pretty good job at his goal, which is to divide God's people, to turn us against each other, to devour one another. And so we see where the enemy comes and these roots of bitterness begin to grow up between people, between churches in the kingdom. We see that people struggle when we all have these insecurities, right? And Satan comes in and he puts his finger on some insecurity and we take some kind of offense and the cover for insecurity is pride. And so we're prideful, we become prideful. That insecurity gets poked. We become prideful and we can't stand it. We end up in some type of situation where maybe we need correction. And as the church steps in to try to bring correction, which is very biblical, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, says that God's word is um, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training. He charges Timothy, Paul charges Timothy, his spiritual son. He charges him to teach and rebuke and encourage with all gentleness. This is something that the church is called to do. The problem in the church today, one of the greatest problems the church has today is because of our insecurities, because of our pride and because of our immaturity. We cannot be corrected without being condemned. And so when we are corrected, when someone comes to us, even with gentleness and with the greatest heart and with the the best intentions, 
I can tell you this. I could count on one hand in 20 years of ministry how many times I've gone to somebody with, to try to reset them, to try to help them, had a conversation with them. And I can tell you, I can count on one hand how many times they didn't leave. And here's the reason. We would rather leave and go somewhere else than deal with our issues. But if every church you go to has a problem and it's not right, the issue is you, it's not the church. And at some point you need to start looking in the mirror instead of looking out the window and realize there are things that God wants to do in your heart and quit running from the issue. The issue might not be the churches, the issue might be something that's living inside of your heart. And so we look at this and we see how he, he comes in and he begins to divide. Instead of dealing with our stuff, we just run away. But I want you to understand that you can be corrected without being condemned. We all need correction. I need correction. We should crave correction. If I'm out of line, tell me. Let people you trust who have invested in your life come alongside you and guide you. Another thing we do is comparisons. You look at somebody else and you think, well, I can never do that. I can never be that. I can never, never be used by God that way. We look at somebody, oh, they're such a great teacher. They're such a great prayer. I'm not going to pray out loud. I can't pray like that. Who cares? I remember one time we were sitting at the dinner table. My dad, I was on one end. My dad was on the other. My dad said the blessing. I couldn't hear it. I said, dad, I couldn't hear anything you said. He said, I wasn't talking to you. It's like, good point. Who cares? You talk to your heavenly father. You don't have to do some eloquent thing, right? You don't have to compare yourself to someone else. Just be who God made you to be. Quit comparing. Quit comparing. Nothing good comes from comparison. Nothing good comes from comparison. Some of us struggle in the church and the church doesn't accomplish its purpose because we feel so inadequate. We feel so inadequate. Who are we to be used by God? Who am I to stand up here? I feel like Paul so many times that I'm the chief of sinners, that I'm the least qualified to be doing what I'm doing. I understand my shortcomings. I understand that I'm a sinner. I get this. And what amazes me is that God's grace is so big that he would call me to do this. And yet I feel so inadequate still after 20 years. I still feel so inadequate to stand up and preach God's word. I remember the first sermon I ever preached. Some of you have heard this, so just bear with me. A lot of you haven't. First sermon I ever preached, I was 16 years old. What did he even say? They asked me to preach. I don't know why. The youth group, I was going to the youth group because my girlfriend was at the youth group. They was like, hey, you want to preach? I was like, yeah, sure. So I went to go preach. And I was going to preach. I love baseball, loved baseball then. So I was going to preach this, this message about baseball and, you know, rounding the bases and getting home. And uh, it was terrible. Like I started, I get up there and, and it's a Sunday night and it's youth night. And so they asked me as part of the youth group to come and preach. And I'm up there and, 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 and I got my notes and all of a sudden I got up there and it was like my notes were in Russian. And I'm sitting there and I'm trying to get through it and I'm trying to think. And I'm like, gosh, we've surely, we've been here for like 20 minutes. I look, it's like three minutes. 
I, I can't get my place. I can't figure out what I'm doing. I can't figure out anything. And so finally, like two, three, four, five minutes in, I'm just like, let's just pray. And I can see in everybody's faces, they're like. <laughs> and so I was like, let's just pray. And literally into the microphone, I did this. As sweat is dripping from my forehead. Oh God, I don't know what to say. And I prayed some prayer. I said, amen, everybody, because Christians lie to the people who preach and they say, man, that was great. Knowing good and well, you slept through the whole message. <laughs> Knowing good and well, you're like, my stomach's growling, I'm hungry. Gosh, I gotta get out of this parking lot, right? And, and so they, they, these people are coming up and they're like, that was so good. We're so proud of you. You did such a good job. I'm like, you're lying and liars go to hell. <laughs> like, I'm not stupid. I know how bad that was. That was terrible. And so this one little old lady, she's coming down the middle aisle. She's got her walker and she's coming down the aisle and I'm sitting there waiting. I'm like, <laughs> and, and so she's coming and I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, man, how sweet is this little lady? She can't hardly walk and yet she's taking her time to come down here and lie to me and tell me that I did a good job. And so she finally gets down there and she looks at me dead in the eyes. And she says, son, you learned something every preacher ought to know. I said, what's that? She said, when you ain't got nothing good to say, just shut up. <laughs> that was my first preaching experience. I like, I'll never preach, I'll never talk in front of people again. And I didn't until I was a senior in college and I had to do a presentation. I swore I'd never do it again. And listen, 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 I had a pastor tell me one time, if you want to grow a church, you've got to preach better. Don't amen that. If you are going to grow a church, you've got to preach better. What does that do to you when you're thinking about inadequacy and you already feel inadequate, right? I've made so, a fool of myself in front of people so many times doing this. I can tell you story after story. We could be here till like 10 o'clock tonight. Me telling you story after story after story of stupid things I've done in front of a lot of people. Probably the worst, and this still goes through my mind, and I had to shake it off. But probably the worst was the shot her around the church. The day that I had the bow and arrow up here, I literally accidentally shot an arrow into that wall. It had to be the Holy Spirit who helped me get through that message. I don't know how I did it. I went into my office between services. I cried my eyes out. I'm thinking, what could have happened? I'm freaking out. I mean, I didn't want to come back to the 11. Somehow God got me through the 11. I still to this day, I'll ride down the road. I'll start thinking about that happening. And all of a sudden, man, I'm just like, ah, I got to quit thinking about that. I made a fool of myself. I've done so many stupid things, right? So many stupid things. So inadequate. And yet here's the thing. What God calls you to is not going to be easy. What, it's not supposed to be easy. It's not going to be easy, but what you do is you fall forward and you get back up and you keep going. You think I wanted to come back after I shot an arrow in the wall? They want to come back. That day was about sin and missing the mark. <laughs> I missed it. <laughs> I didn't want to come back. It's not easy. But if the church is going to be the church, 
We need to step into the things God's called us to. You have giftings inside of you, as we talked about last week. And my prayer is that God would draw every bit of that out of you, not for your individual purpose, but for the purpose of the church. I want you to understand we have an enemy. Our enemy has a strategy. The enemy hates us. He wants to divide us. He does not want us to be heart and soul. He doesn't want us to be unified. He doesn't want us to grow to maturity. He doesn't want us to step into our purposes. He doesn't want us to accomplish the things God's given us to accomplish because he does not want the world filled with more worship of Jesus, more worship of God. But here's the good news. God has not left us defenseless. God has not left us defenseless. The weapons that God has given us, and listen to this, this comes back to where I told you the main idea. The weapons that God has given us are his word and prayer. The weapons that God has given us are his word and prayer. There's all these other things, right, that we can talk about. We'll talk about some of these. But understand this, the, the root of it, what, what the cause of it is ultimately boiled down to God's word and prayer. When we first started and the church started growing really, really fast, and, and there were a lot of people who were critical. They were like, well, there must be a cult. They must be doing this. They must be doing that. They, they're, they're doing all these other things. And they can't be doing right. And, but some people would just simply ask, like, what are y'all doing that is causing the church to grow? And the answer was this. We preached and we prayed. It was really that simple. That we preached and we prayed. We preached that we are dead in sin, but we can come alive in Christ by faith in Jesus. And it's still all about Jesus. It's not about you and me. It's about him. And it's amazing that when you exalt him and you lift him high and you begin to realize that he can change anybody's heart in this room, no matter who you are, where you've been, or who you've done whatever with, and you can understand that Jesus has lifted that sin off of you and put it on himself and took the punishment, condemnation for that sin, then all of a sudden when you begin to get that good news, all of a sudden you, 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 you can't help Help but share it. I can remember, man, like from the very beginning, I've had this belief because I know my heart, I know who I am, I know what I was. And I've had this belief that God can save anyone because He saved me. I remember being in the blue building over here when we first started. We were probably less than 50 people. I remember giving an altar call, and I'll never forget this. For, for, all, for the rest of my life, I'll never forget this, that one of the people who came forward for prayer was this young, single girl who was eight months pregnant. And I remember thinking in my head, God, thank you so much that she's here and she feels like she can come up here and be prayed for, that she feels like she can be supported, that she doesn't feel like she has to hang her head and, and be living in some kind of shame and condemnation. Thank you that we can partner with her so that we can come alongside and encourage her and help her and let her know that it's gonna be okay, that she's loved, that she's not damaged goods. Let her know, God, how deeply loved she is. Thank you for creating that type of place. I don't know if y'all noticed this, but we got a smoking section. Y'all notice that out front? We've always had one. Blue Building, Statesboro High School. 
We've had people that come in and complain. Christians aren't supposed to smoke, right? But I'm like, you don't know what they were smoking last month. Listen, listen, listen. A Marlboro is way better than what they were smoking a month or two ago. And listen to this. I want you to understand this. I want you to get this. We have always been a church for anyone to come and hear the gospel because Jesus died for everyone. And that is what we will continue to be. But understand, too, that as we come as we are, we're also transformed to be as he is through the power of his word and the power of prayer. But listen to this. When we give away or are apathetic towards God's word and prayer, we have given away our weapons. When we are apathetic towards God's word and prayer, we have given away his weapons. The kingdom of God cannot, does not advance. There is no domino effect through his church without his word and without prayer. The spirit of God works through his word and prayer to take ground for the kingdom, period. I want you to understand this. A weak gospel declaration and demonstration makes a weak church. Weak churches make weak Christians. Weak Christians make weak soldiers. And weak soldiers don't take ground. Prayerless people make powerless churches. Powerless churches can accomplish God's purposes. When churches can't accomplish God's purposes, they become about themselves, not God. And churches that are centered on man and not Jesus have only a form of godliness without the power. It is absolutely essential that we are a people of the word and prayer. If we expect God to move in great ways without his word and without prayer, it is either arrogant or ignorant. It is either ignorant because we don't understand that nothing eternal happens apart from his word and apart from prayer, or it's arrogant because we think we have figured this out so much that, that we can do what God would do. We look at the Holy Spirit and we're just like, just sit right there and watch this. Watch this, God, watch me work. I can tell you this right now. I would rather have an anointing of God on my life than I would talent. I would rather be someone who, who is not eloquent in speech like Paul was, but when you open your mouth, it comes with power. That comes through his word and prayer. It comes through being close to God. It comes through abiding in him. God gives us this armor, right? We've heard probably if you've been in church, you've heard people talk about the armor of God. We talk about it so much. But think about this. The armor of God, it all literally, it comes from God's word. It comes from God's word. The first one is the belt of truth. And see, the belt for the Roman soldier is the thing that held everything together. It held all the other armament together. That breastplate of righteousness where the sword would hang 
All of those things were held together by the belt of truth. Listen, the Bible tells us in Colossians 1 that all things were created through Christ and Christ holds all things together. What is Jesus? He's the way, the truth, and the life. He holds all things together. He's the Word made flesh. If we're not in His Word, what's holding us together? The Bible tells us that we've been given a breastplate of righteousness. But where did the righteousness come from? It came from believing in Jesus and now the one who had no sin became sin so we could become the righteousness of God through faith, through believing in Him. It says our feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And I've heard this a lot of times that our feet being fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace is so we can carry the gospel forward. And I believe that is true. But there's another part to this also, and this is really the point that Paul is making. The, the shoes that these soldiers wore into battle would have spikes, big spikes, on the bottom of them. And it was so when they engaged in battle, they could stand their ground. They weren't slipping. They weren't sliding. I want you to understand this. If we have no foundation in God's Word and in prayer, we have nothing to stand on. We are open to the enemy. It's like standing on sinking sand. It says that we've been given the shield of faith. Where does faith come from? The Bible says it comes from hearing, and it comes from hearing the Word of God. It comes from hearing the Gospel. And he says, look, if you'll stand in faith, if you'll believe my word, if you'll trust my word, if you'll come to me and, and, and abide in me. Listen, he says, there's this shield of faith that I'll put around you that you have to hold on to. And that shield of faith will extinguish every flaming arrow of the enemy. That no weapon formed against you would prosper. doesn't mean it's easy. It's not a prosperity gospel. What it means is even in the battle, you can keep taking ground. The helmet of salvation. How do we even get salvation? We believe the gospel. We believe God's word. The spirit opens our eyes. He says the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And he goes on, and this is part that we miss a lot of times. He goes on and the next line says, praying on all occasions. See, the way we apply, the way we use God's armor is through praying his word. How do you swing the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God? I can't grab it. I mean, I could grab my Bible, but if I'm going through life doing like this, people really are going to think I'm crazy. The way we swing the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is through prayer. We pray His Word. We pray His promises. We declare who He is. And I want to encourage you in that. And I know some of you don't feel equipped to do that. But begin to take steps to be equipped. Begin to take steps to understand how to read the Bible. Get in a connect group. Go through heart and soul. Let us walk with you. Let us do what God's called us to do by equipping you to do ministry. By equipping you to, to be able to read the Word and understand the Word and to stand on the Word and to pray the Word and see the church take ground. Take your next step. Connect group. Find somebody that's, that's further along than you. Ask them to disciple you. Go to heart and soul. Let us, let us get to know you and walk with you. But take that step. Here's the last thing I would say. As a church, we've got to see that there is a greater, there is a bigger purpose. 
than just showing up on Sunday, showing up on Wednesday, showing up to group, showing up to whatever. There's a bigger and greater purpose. It is to bring worship and glory to God throughout the earth. And here's the thing that I would tell you today. Engage, engage. It is as if we're getting ready for battle and the, and the, and the general yells charge, right? We are a people who God has called to be united. We're a people who God has called to lock arm in arm. And today the call is charge. Engage, engage the enemy. Engage in being equipped. Engage in being sharpened. Don't get to the end of your life and waste the potential that's in you. I don't want to get to the end of the time that I have to pastor this church and look back and go, why did we waste so much? I look in the congregation. I look in the congregation and I see so much ability. I see so much talent. I see so much potential. I see leaders, you lead, you lead things, you're, you're good at things. How's God using that? What would happen if you fully surrendered those giftings to the Lord? Allow him to use you the way he desires. We're going to end this by doing what we've been talking about. We're going to pray the word. I would encourage you. In fact, let's, stand, let's stand up uh, for this. Uh, this is last time. We're going to stand to our feet and put ourselves in a posture that we're going to stand firm, that the enemy's not going to divide us, that the enemy is going to unite our hearts with one mission and one purpose, and we're going to accomplish the purposes for which he created. I would encourage you right where you are. You may not be comfortable doing this out loud, but why don't you just begin to pray? Maybe there's only a couple of scriptures you know. Maybe you don't know any scriptures scriptures, but you just begin to talk to your heavenly father. And I'm going to pray and you pray, and we're just going to lift our voices to the Lord. If you're comfortable, if not, you just pray to God. You just talk to him in this moment. So father, we thank you right now that we can come to you. We thank you that your word tells us, Lord, that we can come boldly before your throne of grace to receive grace and mercy in our time of need. We thank you, God, that you are not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but you have been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet you are with Without sin. We thank you today that your word is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. God, we thank you that it pierces our heart, the deepest parts of our being. We thank you this morning, God, that you called us, that we are a chosen people. We are a priesthood. We've, we've been called, we've been set apart for a purpose, that you are placing us as living stones and building a temple that is beautiful for of the world to see, something that glorifies you. God, thank you that you have made us trophies of grace. Thank you, God, today that you have done such a work in us that we cannot do in ourselves. I thank you that your grace is abundant. I thank you that your grace is always sufficient. I thank you that your ability in us can accomplish things that we can never accomplish on our own. I thank you, God, that as we continue to surrender to you and we continue to make it all about Jesus, that we will continue to see you do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever think or imagine. I thank you, God, that today the same power that lived in Jesus and that rose him from the dead is living in us. God, would you stir him in us? Would you stir the spirit in us today? 
God, I thank you that you have called us, that you have equipped us, that you have put stuff in us. I pray right now you begin to draw those things out. I pray, God, that your word and our craving for your word would be like fire in our bones. I thank you right now for the person who's struggling and they're struggling with this feeling of condemnation or inadequacy. I thank you that Ezekiel tells us in Ezekiel 36 that you would sprinkle us by faith in Christ, sprinkle us with clean water and you would make us clean, that you would give us a new heart, God. I thank you for that. I think about the valley of dry bones, Lord, and all of these, this this soldier, this, this army that's just laying there, dry bones, just dried up. And yet you told the prophet to begin to speak and you began to blow across those dry bones. And all of a sudden there was a rattling and they stood up and it began to be, be, be flesh and tendons and ligaments put together. And they stood up a vast army. God, would you do that in our hearts today? Would you do that in our hearts today? Would you bring us alive today? Alive more than we've ever been alive, God. To, to, to long for you, to have a desire for you, to pursue you, God to give our lives over to you, to give our talents over to you, that we, God, would be a part of your body, that, God, we would realize that we are needed in the body. Breathe in us, God. Breathe in us, God. Breathe in us today. Breathe in us today. Draw us near, God. We draw near to you. Your promise is you'll draw near to us, and we thank you. God, I thank you. I thank you for the person today who feels so weak, God, right now, would you touch them in Jesus' name with the power of your Holy Spirit. Touch them in a way, God, with your spirit that maybe they've never felt before. Bring them to life, Lord. Bring them to life. God, I thank you. Thank you for the power of who you are. Thank you for who you are. We love you, Lord. I thank you for each person in this room. Would you draw out of them what you've put into them? Would you embrace them? Would you love them? Would you let them know how much they're loved, God, that your love would compel them, God, that your love would compel them to you? We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.